So it's Sunday and it's July 4th. July 4th falls on a Sunday this year. It's Independence Day. It's the day we celebrate the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain and the birth of what we call America. And I hope that you are going to celebrate this weekend. I'm sure that some of you have already celebrated in lots of ways and maybe have some some plans for today and this weekend. Um, It's a time that we reflect on what it means to be a, a participant in America, to, to be free people. Um, we remember our servicemen and our servicewomen and are grateful for them. We'll go to fireworks displays. And I hope um, I, there's nothing in the world to me that's more patriotic than watching that scene in the sandlot when all of the kids are out in the, and it's July 4th and they're out on the field watching the fireworks and Ray Charles... America the Beautiful is playing. Like, there's nothing that makes me feel more patriotic than that, and so I always have to pull that up and watch it or listen to that because that's my absolute favorite. But this weekend, as our minds are set on what it means to be Americans, I want us to look at a really important moment in the ministry of Jesus that I think we cannot forget, uh, especially as we gather together in worship. And you guys have been so faithful to, to, to pour your hearts into worship today in the name of Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. But we're going to be in Matthew, um, Mark chapter 12, excuse me. Mark chapter 12. And in Mark 12, along with Matthew and Luke's gospel, all three of these gospels record another attempt of the Jewish leaders to try to destroy the ministry of Jesus. Um, The Jews at this time are under the authority of the Roman Empire. They're looking for the coming Messiah to come and deliver them from the oppression and the authority of the Romans. And this particular attempt that we're going to read about in Mark 12 is the first of three intentional attempts that the religious leaders make to try to trip up or or get Jesus in trouble with either the people or with the authorities during the last week of Jesus' life. And so this is that final week of Jesus' life on earth before the crucifixion. So I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 12, and we're going to go bit by bit and kind of take in the story, and then I want to just give you some some thoughts and some reflections that I have that I think we can pull from this uh, for us, okay? So Mark 12, uh, beginning with verses 13 and 14, Mark writes and says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came... They said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care about what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So let's stop right here. This is a familiar Um, This is a familiar encounter. Many of you have read this before and you know what Jesus is going to say, but I want us to kind of walk through the situation bit by bit. Mark tells us that there's like a tag team of Jews that are coming up against Jesus in this particular text. He mentions the Pharisees and the Herodians. and, And this relationship, which is actually a very weird relationship between the Herodians and the Pharisees, goes all the way back to Mark chapter 3. Um, they, were, they were both Jews. The Herodians were Jews. 
The Pharisees were Jews, but they both were very opposed in the way they looked at Rome. You say, well, what's the difference between the Herodians and the Pharisees? The Pharisees were, um, their desire was for Rome to be removed. They wanted to see Rome done away with. They wanted David's throne to be restored um, for Israel. They were mostly devoted to Israel, and they were intensely religious. Okay? So that was the Pharisees as opposed to the Herodians. The Herodians were also Jews, but their take on Rome was different. Instead of wanting to get rid of Rome, the Herodians wanted to submit to Rome. Uh, They supported the rule of the Herods, Go there. that's where they get their name, the Herodians. They supported the rule of the Herods by Rome. They were devoted to Rome, and they were intensely political in the way they dealt with things. So you had the Pharisees who were, who were very theological, who were very religious in their, in their views on things, and the Herodians tended to be a lot more political. And so you could tell most of the time... They were, they were enemies. They, they were very opposed to one another and had very different ways of approaching things. But in this particular case, they were, they were united because they had a common enemy and the common enemy was Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus was trouble for both of these groups. He was, he was, he, he was tearing apart the, the, the way the Pharisees were, were leading the people in, in their view of, of, of what the commandments meant, and he was tearing them apart. And then at the same time, he was causing trouble for in, in the political realm too. And so both of these groups of people, these guys wanted to get rid of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus is still being attacked by the same systems in our world today, if you think about it. There are religious systems in the world opposed to Christianity that wants to get rid of the gospel, who are opposed to the gospel. And at the same time, even in our own nation, there are political forces that want to do away with the gospel. And so what we see in this tag team, um, you know, team up on Jesus, it wasn't just happening then. It still is happening now. There, there are religious forces. There are political forces that both want to come against the gospel of Jesus. And so Mark says they come together for the purpose of trapping Jesus. They want to trick Jesus into making an inflammatory political statement so that he could be perceived as an enemy of Rome. The Herodians would then go to the Herods. They would go to Antipas, to Pilate. They would report Jesus' words. Um, Later on in the gospels, they actually even just straight up lie, the Pharisees do, and say, we found this man um, basically telling the people that we shouldn't pay taxes to Rome, which is exactly not what Jesus says here, but they get so desperate they just straight out lie about him. But their goal is to try to trap him. And I want you to notice their tactics, like the way they do it. Okay, look, look back at those verses. Look at what they say to him as they approach him with this question. Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Those words are absolutely true, aren't they? Those are all absolute. They are saying the right stuff, but they are coming as liars. 
false flattery is, is what they're using. And that's a pretty political thing to use, isn't it? Inside the church and outside the church. But here are, the, here are two reasons that they decided to, to approach Jesus with this fake flattery. One is because they wanted to identify with the people. Their, their goal was to get the people on their side to identify with them. And so they are basically just echoing what all the people are saying about Jesus. And they also want the people to think that they're coming to Jesus asking this question as legitimate seekers of the truth. But we know, and Jesus knows, that's not the case at all. They have an agenda. The other thing they're trying to do, I believe, is to entice the pride of Jesus so that he would be compelled to give them an answer. I mean, look at, look at what they say about him. We know that you're truthful. You don't care about what anyone thinks. What they're, what they're saying is not that you disregard what people say, but they're saying, look, you speak the truth, and, and it, it doesn't matter. You don't change what you say depending on who you're talking to. Nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. They kind of butter him up and build him up in front of these people and say, hey, we know this about you. Now, Jesus, we have a legitimate question we want to know. We need you to give us an answer. And so they're building him up to try to set him up to where maybe that pride in him that they think is in him is going to bubble up. I mean, when, when, when somebody builds you up like that and says, hey, we want you to say this, like you almost feel obligated to because they built you up in such a way. That's, that's, that's what they're doing. But then there's this irony in it too because everything they say about Jesus is the antithesis of what they were exhibiting in their own lives, right? Look at it. We know that you're truthful. They weren't truthful. That you don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. That's all these guys did on a regular basis. They, they were shapeshifters. Um, when you think of, of um, the Herodians, they were political shapeshifters. They, they were Jews, but they wanted the approval of Rome. They didn't want to come against Rome. And they were, trying to, they were kind of trying to play both sides of the aisle, trying to make everybody happy. And they would just shapeshift into whatever, whatever fit the moment. And the Pharisees, they were more concerned with their religious appearance to people rather than a, their obedience to God and the commandments. And so all of these things that they say about Jesus, I don't think they realize in their arrogance and pride, it's the exact opposite of what they're exhibiting in their own lives. But everything they say to him there is absolutely true. But none of them believed it. They're saying all these true things, but they don't believe a word of it. And so they come to him with a question, and it's a gotcha question. You know what a gotcha question is, right? It's one of those that's meant to, meant to get you in a compromising position where you're going to make somebody mad. It's a controversial question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? There were lots of taxes that were imposed by Rome, but there was a, a particular tax um, that the Jews especially hated. It was called the poll tax, and it, usually, it was a one denarius tax 
one denarius per person per year. And this was basically a tax that, that Rome imposed on the people and especially on the Jews, and it was basically a reminder that we are in charge. It's a reminder that you are subservient to us, that we are in authority over you. And the Jews obviously didn't like it. There wasn't a single Jew who liked paying taxes to Rome because the Romans were pagans. They didn't recognize, they didn't follow, they didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they didn't want to submit themselves to the authority of pagans. And on top of that, the Caesars were known to proclaim themselves to be gods. Gods with a little g. Uh, Julius Caesar even did that. And so the, the Jews felt that they were breaking the commands of God. You shall have no other gods before me. They used that as justification to, be, uh, to go against the government. They, they hated the Caesars. They hated Rome. And so they set Jesus up for this yes or no answer. And the answer they're really hoping or thinking they're going to get from Jesus is yes. Um, or, or no. <laughs> it really could be either one. It's a yes, no answer because they're, they've come up with it, what they think is a pretty brilliant plan. Because it's going to trap Jesus one way or the other. What happens if Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes to Rome? Then Jesus is disregarding God. He's disregarding the commandments. He loses favor with the people because he's, he's suddenly saying, no, you should, yeah, they're pagans, they're in authority over us. You should, you should pay taxes to them. It, it's not, that's not the popular opinion among the people. And so it's going to turn the people against him if he says yes. But if he says, no, don't pay the taxes, then he's an enemy of Rome. And Rome has the authority to come, take him, arrest him, punish him, get rid of him, which is exactly what these two groups wanted to happen. Either we discredit him completely where the people stop listening to him, or we trick him into saying something that's going to get Rome on him, and Rome will take care of him for us. This was a hot potato question. Um, and there are lots of questions. We even think about the political realm in our country right now. There are lots of questions right now that, that would match this kind of question, a hot potato kind of question, where it doesn't matter whether you say yes or no or I'm some in support of this or I'm against this, you're going to make somebody mad. So this is exactly what they're doing with Jesus, and they think they have him trapped. But let's look at how Jesus answers. Look at verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, that's key there, what they were trying to hide from everybody else, Jesus knew. He said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. So he, said, he makes two statements here. One, he asks the question, why are you testing me? He's basically saying, why are you continuing to do what you continue to fail at? You continue to fail at this attempt to try to trap me in my words. Why do you keep doing it? It, it reminds me, it reminded me of um, the movie Shawshank Redemption 
Um, it seems so random. But there's a scene, it's obviously a prison movie, and there's this young hotshot criminal that gets brought to Shawshank, and his name is Tommy. And he's sitting at uh, lunch one day, and he's bragging to all the, these older guys that have been there for years all of the uh, robbery jobs that he's pulled. And he's telling them stories about all the robberies that he'd pulled and how he got caught and how he had done time in this prison for this and done time in that prison for that. And Andy Dufresne, who's the main character, Tim Robbins, he just kind of looks up from his lunch and he says, well, um, this is exactly what he says, perhaps it's time you tried a new profession. (laughs) And Tommy, cocky kid, looks at him and says, what are you talking about? He says, well, you don't seem to be a very good thief. Maybe you should try something else. And it makes him angry, but, but it's true. It, and, I, and I sense a little bit of that in Jesus' response to them. Like, are you guys still trying to do this? Like, you're not good at it. Why do you think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail? Why do you think you're going to continue to trap me? But I think it goes deeper than that. Um, if you go in Luke chapter 4, verse 12... When Jesus was being tested by Satan in the wilderness, what did Jesus say? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knew that the root of what they were trying to do had its, had its origin in what Satan had already tried to do years earlier in the wilderness. He had tried to test Jesus and it failed. And it's almost, I think, as if Jesus could be saying, Satan himself couldn't do it. Why do you guys think you can? <laughs> so he says, and then he says, bring me a denarius. So you can, you can think about the climate of this. And I love, Jesus tends to do this a lot, I think, in the Gospels. There's this intense moment where they're coming to him with this question and they're waiting, they're waiting on his response. They're, and he just kind of stops and says, why are you doing this? Hey, has anybody got a denarius? He just kind of stops. You know, when, when it, it's kind of like when I've told you when, he, um, when they bring the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus just bends down and starts riding in the dirt. It's like he reestablishes control. They come against him thinking, we've got you now. And Jesus reestablishes the fact that he's in control of everything. And he's like, hey, has anybody got a, got a denarius that, that I can take a look at that you'll let me borrow for a second? Um, this is not the yes or no. That yes or no answer that they're trying to impose on him, he just, he just kind of backs up and he brings, and he's like, hey, anybody got a, anybody got a coin? And so, look at verses 16 and 17. They brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus pulls out his denarius, or somebody gives him one. And I actually um, have one. My friend Keith Haney um, gave me this. Um, 
about three years ago, right after I became the pastor. And this is a, um, this is a, a, a Roman denarius. This one is dated a couple of hundred years after um, the time of Jesus. It doesn't have the same emperor on it that, that the one Jesus would have had. Um, but I think I've got a picture of, um, yeah, this is, this is a picture of what would have been the, the type of denarius that Jesus uh, would have been using and holding up and showing them uh, that day. So he says, Who's, whose name is on it? Whose picture is on it? Obviously, it was Caesar. It was Tiberius at that point. But take a look, put that back up there for a second. Take a look at, at, at that for a minute. Um, Jesus' answer, he says, whose picture is on it? It's Caesar. And he says, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Jesus' answer is pay the tax. Just pay it. Um, but, but that's not his whole answer. So he gets, they get the yes answer out of him, pay the tax. That's what he's saying. Um, he says, return to Caesar what is due to Caesar. Return to Rome what is due to Rome. Because the truth was there were privileges and there were responsibilities that all the people enjoyed because they were under the authority of Rome. Everything wasn't oppression. Uh, Rome's military power provided peace, provided security, provided protection for them during that time. Um, you think about the roads, the construction, the infrastructure that Rome provided, the roads and the shipping, um, the shipping paths and the, and the, the trading of goods and those, all of those things that that infrastructure provided for the Jews that they enjoyed. And this was Rome's way of getting compensation back from the people for the services and the protection that they offered and provided for the people. And so Jesus here affirms the rightness of giving the government what is due them for the benefits they provide for the people. He says, Caesar provides things for you. And he issued this coin. His image is on it. This is his. So return it. Give it back to him. It's, it's, he's due that. And this principle is echoed throughout the rest of the New Testament, specifically Romans 13, um, verses 1 and verses 6 and 7 I want to read to you. Paul writes to the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome, and says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Verse 6. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Pay to those who owe taxes. Tolls to those who you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. Peter also talked about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Peter says, and remember, Peter, this is the Peter who, who wanted to start a fight when they came to get Jesus. This is the Peter who wanted to cut off, who cut off the ear of the Roman soldier when they came to get Jesus. 
Now Peter writes and says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So Jesus, in this, in this one statement, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so there is, there is a call for us as well as believers, not just on what Jesus said, but what Paul and what Peter says here, that we honor our government. We honor and give back to our government what is due. And, and this is an important statement. But Jesus didn't stop there. Okay? Now, that, that's the part where maybe you wave your little American flag and go, yes, we love America. All right, now he, he says something else because that's not the end of it. He says, yes, you give to Rome what belongs to Rome. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But there is a greater obedience that trumps Caesar. He says, and to God, the things that are God's. This coin has an image on it. And when Jesus pulled that denarius and from someone and he showed it to him, he said, whose image is on this coin? So because the image of the Caesar is stamped on it, that belongs to Caesar, you give it to him. But I think Jesus was also saying when it comes to you, there's an image that's stamped on you. There's an image that's stamped on your life, on your being, on your existence. And it's not the image of a governor. It's not the image of a Caesar. It's not the image of a president. It's the image of God. You have been marked and stamped with the image of, of the one whom you belong to. The question of taxes is the smaller question that's within a much larger question. And the larger question is to whom not do we owe taxes, but to whom do we owe our very lives? To whom do we owe our ultimate allegiance? To whom do we owe our greatest loyalty? And so Jesus says, you give to God what is God's. The answer, just like he said, whose image is on the coin answers the question of who you give the coin to. The same question is who, whose image is stamped on your life and that determines who you give your life to. We owe our lives to the one whose image 
our lives bear. So Jesus' answer left them speechless and amazed because they weren't ready for it. And it it played out just like it always did. They thought they had Jesus. They were ready. They dropped this gotcha question on him. They waited for the answer. And then Jesus just completely turns it on them. And he answers a, a greater question, a question that they weren't even asking. So Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. So we have to wonder, well, what kind of conclusions can we draw? Because we don't live in Rome. We're not first century Jews. We don't live under the oppression of a, of a foreign people. We live in a country that we, that we love. What can we draw from Jesus' statements here as not just citizens of America, but more importantly and most importantly, citizens of the kingdom of God? And if we could rephrase Jesus' statement for us, it may say, give to America what belongs to America. And so if we stop and reflect on that for a few minutes, what what are things that belong to America? What are things that are due to our country for what it has gifted to us? We give America honor. We honor America. That's a good thing to do. Jesus, even Peter said, honor the emperor. Like we honor America because it's good. We give our honor to America. We give our gratitude to America. We should be grateful for what we enjoy. The fact that we can be in this house right now, public, open to anybody. Is, is a gift. That's something that we should be grateful for. You should be grateful for those picnics that you've gone to this weekend, for those, uh, for those fireworks that you'll see, for the fact that you can gather with your family. You get a, you get a holiday off tomorrow if you work, um, you know, for like business or government or something like that. All of these things, there's, there's just a list that you could make and reflect on of what are things that we should be grateful for as Americans, there's, we give our responsibility too. Jesus, the same thing. We pay our taxes. We don't live as Christians in America and say, oh, we're not going to pay our taxes because America doesn't follow God anymore. Jesus says, no, you can't do that. There's responsibility that comes with being an American citizen and, and active participation in government is something that is good. We owe that to our country. And active participation as believers in voting, in being part of the political process, is something that we do. It's good. We owe that to our nation, and we give that to our nation, and we actively participate. So Jesus, if Jesus were to say to us, give to America what belongs to America, but he also says, give to God what belongs to God. And I don't know about you guys, but I know over the past at least 
five, six years, it's, it seems like there are more and more Christians who have trouble differentiating between where the kingdom of God stops and the kingdom of America starts. Because there's a definite line between those two. And I think if we're not very, very careful, we will let America and the kingdom of God merge and bleed over into one another where it's not meant to bleed. Um, and I tried to think of, of things specific to what Jesus says here that we could pull away and, and draw from because the, the point of this passage is to not make us feel patriotic. The point of this passage is to remind us that there is a greater king and a greater kingdom than America will ever be. And that we are citizens now, having been birthed into that kingdom, our first and primary allegiance is to Jesus, the king, and his kingdom. It's, it, it's, it's, we love our country. And this country is a gift from God. But this is not our first allegiance. If we are in Christ. So I, I, I've got just three little points that I think Jesus makes clear here and that we can pull away from as we, as we wrap up. And I just want you to consider these as you're celebrating this weekend. Number one, American politics can never be primary. American politics can never be primary. Jesus puts civil politics in its place here and in this story, and Jesus' answer is that civil politics is a far second. It is not primary, and as believers and citizens of a, of a heavenly kingdom, it, it can never be primary for us. There is a clear place for it. Don't, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean that we just pull away from politics, we pull away from, from any of those things and don't participate. We've already said before, there is a clear place for that in our lives. But Jesus affirms that our participation and loyalty and our honor is first to him. And whatever authorities that we honor as Americans were put into place by him. So I'm not, this is not, a, this is not an anti-American statement. Okay, you understand? This is, a, this is a, America is great, but for the child of God, America is not at the top. Um, and if we let our passion for politics divert us from our obedience and pursuit of Jesus, we've gotten the two out of order. And I think some of you are shaking your heads because you have seen over the past several years too many believers that have gotten things reversed and made what is Jesus clearly sets as secondary, primary, thus taking what their primary citizenship and their primary 
the image that their life bears and puts it second and we compromise the image of the one whom our lives bear because we put politics first. It can't ever be primary. Here's number two. American freedom will never be eternal. American freedom will never be eternal. There is a true gratitude that we feel for the freedom that we have as Americans and we enjoy and it is a gift, but it's a gift from God, primarily. But when America goes away, so will American liberty and American freedom. America is not eternal. America won't be a thing in the new earth, in the new heaven. America is not a thing in eternity. So it won't last forever. We also see a force in our country that wants to, to take away civil liberties, don't we? There's, there's part of our American freedom that there are people, even within America, who want to see those liberties and those freedoms taken away. American freedom isn't eternal, like in, in terms of God's plan for eternity. But let's just be honest, folks. There are some American freedoms that we enjoy right now that maybe be before the end of some of our lifetimes may go away. And we, don't, we won't have them anymore. They're, they're temporary. And there may be a time that we find ourselves having to be or being called to be like Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 when they heal the blind man at the temple, the lame man at the temple, excuse me. And they come before the authorities and the authorities tell them, stop talking about Jesus. And they say, well, you can judge whether it's right for us to listen to you or listen to God, but we're going to listen to God. And thankfully right now we're not really having to do that, but, but we all know that that could happen. That every one of us here may have to oppose the American government that we love to establish our allegiance to the one who owns us. So American freedom is great and we should celebrate it and it's wonderful, but we should know that it's, it will never be eternal. And here's the last one. American leaders will never save us. I didn't say that for an amen. I appreciate it. <laughs> but, y'all, it's just true. Um, put the picture of the coin back up there for me one more time. You see there's an ins inscription around, um, not just the image of Tiberius was, was on that coin, but on the head side, the inscription translated reads, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. You remember I told you that the Caesars would, would establish themselves as gods and they would label themselves divine. Well, it was on this coin that Jesus had in his hand. 
and you see on the tail side, that inscription reads, highest priest. And you see the image of Tiberius, that's Tiberius sitting on a throne like a high priest. And the inscription says, highest priest. The Caesars wanted to be God. The Caesars ranked themselves with divinity. And they declared to the people that they deserved to be worshipped. And Jesus knew this. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God, what Jesus is also saying, do not give worship to men. Even though the Caesars tried to take it, the Caesars tried to impose and and declare that worship for themselves. Jesus is saying, do not give what belongs to God to men. I think you know where I'm going with this. We have to guard ourselves from putting too much hope and too much trust in any political party, any political candidate, or any president ever. Let us never be guilty of setting up any political leader as a savior for America because None of these men will ever save America. No no previous president was ever going to save America. If they were to show back up, they're still not going to save America. And there's no future president or current president that is ever going to save America. America has one Savior, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but be sure to give to God what belongs to God.